Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. Finally, at last, we are able to present to you our second part of our series on homelessness in the 905. When we last left off, we had spoken to Michelle Bielek of the Ontario Alliance to End Homelessness. Her years of grassroots activism shed some light on the crisis we are currently seeing in our streets and in our communities. In that episode, we had focused on the ground level perspective. However, what about those that we entrust with power to solve this problem? What are our elected officials doing to address the real crisis of housing and homelessness in our cities? At the current moment in this discussion, both provincial and federal politicians like to point their fingers to municipalities as the roadblocks to solving this crisis, citing them as the reason for obstructing planning policies prohibiting the necessary building to get done. We thought it would be prudent then to invite onto the podcast two councillors from two of the largest municipalities in the 905 to hear from them. To that end, we have joining us today from Hamilton Ward 1, Councillor Maureen Wilson, and from Mississauga Ward 6, Councillor Joe Hornick. Councillor Wilson is serving her second term on Hamilton City Council, and Councillor Hornick is serving his first. Both of them join us today to share what the cities of the 905 are doing and need to do to properly address the very real crisis of homelessness. As well, in case you did miss our first part of this series, we've provided a link to the episode in our show notes. Feel free to go and take a listen when you finish with this one. Okay, uh, thank you uh, to Councillor uh, Hornick and uh, Councillor Wilson uh, for joining us today. Uh, this this sort of part two episode, pseudo part two, on uh, on the issue of homelessness that's a, that's really come to the forefront uh, in the 905, and I think in in the province and the country uh, over the past year. Um, both of your 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 respective cities have have issues with homelessness uh in, in various degrees uh councillor wilson in hamilton the the story of tents in public parks has been at the forefront uh, as well as down at city city hall um and and, and as well as i know that not necessarily in Mississauga, but in peel there's talks of not uh, more tent encampments uh in there in there as well may if i could just get your your general impressions on the, the where do you see, what do you see as the uh, homeless issue is it or is it a crisis from your point of view is it just another problem chronic problem that we need to deal with um i, I want to get your take as a as a counselor right off the bat um counselor hornick i'm going to start with you please sure i mean i think in the region of peel people still think especially of mississauga as just being the rich suburb right uh you know we grow up out of cornfields and we built a city over the last several decades and we've always been kind of viewed both by the higher levels of government and by a lot of our own citizens as kind of homelessness is over there. It's not a thing that happens in our city. Um, but as that we are a city now, we are seeing it. So the shelters in the region of Peel are at 182% of capacity as of the end of July. Um, and it's, it's become shocking. It's actually grown into the public consciousness now because, uh, you know, just as a local counselor, I will get emails about um, I believe there's a homeless person at this shopping location. Um, is there something we could do for them? And, and I have to say, a lot of cases, people do phrase it in the positive, that they want to help others. Um, but, you know, 
as a, as a supposedly rich suburb that we are, you know, this is a problem that increasingly was hidden for a long time on people's couches and now has really come to the forefront because the capacity issues are just breaking down. Uh, we all saw what happened in Toronto, you know, Mayor Olivia Chow uh, trying to raise the issue as one of her first things as mayor. And frankly, all of us in the GTA have the same problem. Um, I mean, my worry is, as a Mississauga councillor was, Toronto would get all of the oxygen on the topic because the homelessness issue is so well known there. Uh, and maybe Councillor Wilson and, and Hamilton, you know, maybe feels like it's a bit more established in her area too, just having been a more mature city. Um, but, you know, people just forget about Peel on this problem. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's sad, but it's really grown in the, grown in the public consciousness lately. And, uh, and I was just going to say, Councillor Wilson, would you, would you kind of uh, chime in on your perspective from Hamilton? Mm -hmm. um, thank you. I appreciate those comments and the opportunity. It's a, it's a complicated, but also um, easy to understand. Uh, you can't have good health. You can't really complete schooling. You can't maintain a steady employment if, if you don't have a safe, secure, predictable place in which to rest your head. Um, I make a point of every council meeting. Uh, there is um, now predictably letters from other municipalities across Ontario um, and across Canada that are highlighting a declared emergency. And last council, it was Perry Sound asking for the for provincial assistance in addressing which they consider a crisis. We have the city of Ottawa, city of Toronto, city of St. Catharines, Niagara region, a growing list of communities across Ontario who are trying to highlight uh, what they believe to be, and I share their belief to be a humanitarian crisis being played out in public spaces, in hidden spaces, um, in places perhaps where we would least expect it, Oxford County, Perry Sound. These are these are not old urban centers, although they are historic. And trying to highlight that this is, um, for many of us in public service, we're not trying to engage in a partisan or ideological uh, war with the government of the day. It's we're trying to highlight the the real experiences that um, are being. Um, that are affecting residents of our communities. In, in Hamilton, um, we have 165 known people living in encampments, and we have 100 and over 1,600 members who are presently experiencing homelessness. This is Ontario, this is Canada. Um, we don't like to think of, um, I think the conditions uh, <laughs> happening like that in our, our province, in our country, but, but they are, and they're not acceptable. In the, the, the ultimate, uh, the root of all this is, is, is the crisis that everybody of all parties acknowledges, which is the shortage of affordable and um, subsidized housing. Um, I'm distinguishing the two because they're, they're really quite different things, but mm -hmm. basically we're building houses for the wealthiest sectors of society is what it seems like to me anyway. Now, Municipalities do have considerable power to, you know, affect the housing market. Um, they also own land that they could be using to to uh, promote development of affordable housing. Um, I mean, I guess, what are your respective municipalities doing in that regard? Um, and, you know, is this uh, somewhere where municipalities need to be taking a much more kind of 
radical approach of almost becoming major landlords in the way that you might see in Europe, uh, where, where you know municipalities will own thousands and thousands of houses that they've built and maintain and look after. Um, uh, let's start with uh, you, Councillor Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reading a really interesting book on the history of housing in, in Canada, and the conclusion is, uh, without getting into a constitutional and jurisdictional debate, um, what the history of housing tells us is that we're all responsible, but for the most part, it has been municipalities in partnership with a really um, usually unique coalition of um, business people, trade unionists, and community activists who have always uh, um, made the largest gains um, with respect to a deep affordable housing, uh, whether it be at the time Regent Park, um, also in Peel, there's a significant history of, of social housing when the province was in the business of financing um, that endeavor. So what we're trying to do in, in the city of Hamilton, just in our last budget, uh, we've spent 30% more on housing um, for people in need um, than the previous year in 2022 and 55% more than five years ago. So our total uh, tax operating budget on housing and related services is over $70 million. But it it needs to be said that um, in Hamilton, we, we have some income challenges. Um, we have poverty by postal code. And I would argue uh, that property taxes is not the appropriate uh, source of revenue in which to to fund uh, services to people. It's not elastic. Um, uh, And I think that the federal and provincial governments need to get back in the game. We passed a um, housing sustainability roadmap, which we're trying to move into a position of preventing homelessness, as opposed to being in this chronic now um, cycle of emergency response. And what we do have, you've, you've mentioned it, uh, we, we do own public land. Um, but our housing crisis is also a crisis, it's uh, of income. Um, uh, we've seen uh, we were not seeing the investment in whether it's OD, OW, or DSP um, in real terms over the last 20 years. Um, and that matched with uh, a hot real estate market. I think Hamilton um, has the most expensive housing market in all of Canada. It, it's just creating conditions that are not sustainable for the municipality. And of course, the impact is not sustainable for the people who are being pushed out of the private market. Councillor Hornet. Yeah, yeah, I think the council makes a lot of really good points. Um, you know, Mike Moffat, who's probably a really well-known economist uh, to everybody who listens to this podcast, um, I, I believe I saw a post by him a few weeks or months ago where he said, you know, if you look at what, if you go back to the 1980s and 90s, the federal and provincial government were, were contributing in terms of building affordable housing, uh, subsidized housing. And if we'd continued that on in perpetuity to now, it actually would have made up the vast majority of the gap we have on people who are now homeless, right? Um, you know, our regional chair in the region appeal says we could literally spend every single penny of our budget for the next 10 years in the region appeal on nothing but building housing. And we just would cover it at that point for our demand today, 
because our backlog is 10 years. And, and obviously that would mean we're not going to do policing, we're not going to build water, we're not, nothing else, just that. That's not financially viable for anyone. And we keep passing more increases, which I support, uh, to put in more housing, build more co-op housing, build more social housing, help out our shelter systems. Um, but it just feels like a drop in the bucket, right? I mean, I think you go back to also kind of what, um, when we talk about homelessness, what's driving homelessness? I think there's there's two main drivers. There's uh, addiction and people with challenges, uh, mental health issues. And then you also have the economic homelessness. And, and there's kind of two different veins of homelessness, I guess, in my simple mind. Um, you know, and the economic one is grown dramatically as we've seen housing prices just go through the roof, right? And I don't know that we have, and that, that's crowding out the other side, right? So as much as we never really serviced the first side, homelessness and addiction, it's even worse now because the economic side is crunching. So, I mean, we're in a real, we're in a real trouble. Uh, where do we get the resources to solve this? Uh, I mean, I, I think the council made a very good point. Uh, you know, going to the tax base of just homeowners, it's not enough. It's not sustainable. Um, and as much as people will want to work on this issue, there's also lots of other issues they want us to work on as well, like traffic calming, like policing, uh, and like so many other municipal services we all value, right? Libraries, parks. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a kind challenge. of. Um... It's kind of a pie in the sky point I'm about to make, but in I guess in other parts of the world, councils can actually you know take out a mortgage, get in debt. Um, that's not something Canadian municipalities can do. So you could go to the bank and say, "Hey, we'd really like to build twenty thousand houses," uh, uh, um, and the bank will say, "Well, that's a fine investment because you know you're a liable creditor." And but you can't do that here. I mean, it, it would would that power to to actually you know. <laughs> Take out loans like like, like it's done, you know, and obviously you know, immediately red flags go off for, for, for many people like uh, government getting into debt, government getting into debt. But that is how we fund major investments, and that's not a power municipalities have. Is that something we should maybe be talking about more? Uh, I mean, I guess it would be a tool, but I don't I don't think it solves the problem at all. And I think in the end, you still have to service that debt which takes it back to the homeowner taxpayer base, right? So, I mean, again, I mean like, uh, the Moffat analysis said that if the federal and provincials had kept producing mm. at the rate that they had back in the 1980s, helping subsidize social housing, like a lot of that deficit we have today wouldn't be there. Um, I, I hate to blame other levels of government. It's, it's the lowest form of politics. Um, but I also know that, you know, we have a limited tax base. We have one revenue tool in the city. Ta you know, homeownership and taxing. Um, but bringing it into the tool, like the provincial government, uh, for lack of a better ally or, or, or whatever have you for the this issue, their big weapon to combat this is Build 23. And basically, you know, let's kick open the gate and let's start building like crazy. <laughs> Yet, um, you know, Mike Moffat, you mentioned we've, we've had him on the podcast a number of times and he's made a great point of pointing out that, you know, we're, I don't want to blame you, but you guys are not building, you're not getting those new starts started on building the housing that that's needed, the, your, the targets. And I'm not trying to blame you, but I'm wondering like, does bill 23 help hinder or, or is it just like, great, that's, that's there, but 
you know, we need more tools to achieve these targets. We, we need to get these things done. You know, how, 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 what's your take on Bill 23, I guess is what I'm going to say. And uh, I'm going to throw over to you, Councillor Wilson, to, to lead us off because I see you nodding. You look like you have some things to say. <laughs> um, I, in my opinion, you, you can't have a discussion about Bill 23 and housing in general. Um, we, when we talk about health, we talk about the healthcare system. And I think we have to uh, use the same approach when we're talking about housing. We have to set it within a system. And in Canada, um, our housing system is primarily market-driven. It's it's based on the assumption and the goal and a huge financial uh, investment in home ownership. And that um, kind of worked well until it didn't. And when it didn't, it really didn't work well. So 95, 94% overall of housing in Canada is set within the private market. And only 4% consists of cooperative housing, um, non, non-market housing. And so when you're talking about adding 1.5 million homes um, and the government's uh, intent and their language, um, when when all municipalities uh, were having to do their land need assessments, they intentionally included something in their land need assessment, which was new, and it was a direct reference to market-based outputs. And while I try not to get ideological, housing has always been ideologically informed, um, and so Bill 23 is rooted in the assumption that if we just build more of the same, we're going to solve our housing uh, crisis. And what we know is it's really easy to frame this crisis as a supply demand. And in part, that's true. But in part, we also know that the supply is largely market rooted. And we know that while we have demand for housing, that demand cannot afford what is being put on the market unless um, you have inherited wealth or it's a multi-generational, it's a transfer. Or uh, what we also know is that there's a very few number of homeowners who got in um, and have been uh, uh, we, we subsidize market housing to the tune of six to $8 billion through, uh, by not taxing capital gains. Um, that is, that's a subsidy that we offer, but we don't like to couch it in that manner. So I, I guess, um, sure, let's address the supply issue. Um, but in Hamilton, our numbers are showing us that we're building now more rental units than we are um, single family homes, but those rental units are not affordable. So we're putting on the supply, um, but the type of supply, we're going to have to have an adult conversation on whether we believe the market can solve this crisis. And I would argue that since 1919, when we've had a national involvement in housing again and again and again, it shows us that there is a role for the government in injecting direct public finance to assist 
those getting into homes, whether we define them as apartments, condos, or otherwise. And I would say it's got to be um, uh, right now rental. And we've got to also strive for a, multi a multitude of different types of housing. It's, I mean, uh, I recently, <laughs> well, a couple of years ago now, but uh, I'm renting at the moment in Hamilton. Um, oh, yeah. In, in, in fact, in your ward, I am, I am, a, I'm a, <laughs> You're I'm a constituent. The water. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Undecided. <laughs> um, but um, certainly, I mean, just, uh, you know, when I was looking in the market and I was fortunate to find somewhere that I felt was, was, was fairly affordable, but then I, run a business and i i'm much more fortunate than, than many other people uh however i did notice that the newer places that were available for rent are substantially more expensive because they're they're newer they tend to be if then even if they're not condos they're condo like and they're kind of aimed at condo dwellers if you like um uh and and yeah, I mean that that that's a, you know I, I've said a few times on this podcast, uh, and it's a bit of a oversimplification, I'm sure, but it's like the market doesn't build affordable, well, it doesn't build affordable and subsidized housing. The market the market builds for people who have plenty of money, um, and if you want to let the market to build affordable housing, what it tends to build is slums, and you can look at the you know the favelas or you know places around the world where unfettered capitalism has produced some really you know awful affordable in quotation marks housing um that's just a sort of um sorry uh councillor hornick you're trying yeah to i was going to say so i, I want to jump in on, on bill 23 and I, I think you have to think of you know we've had a few housing bills now and so i'm going to kind of crunch them all together because it, mm -hmm. it, it's kind of one line of thought by the government um some of which is okay um like i totally agree with giving the municipalities housing targets i think that we have to start figuring that out right uh, and I support meeting. Like we're asked to have 120,000 units in Mississauga. I think that we should do that. I think we should do our part to help build the supply. But I also think, so, you know, the collection of bills that they've got somehow, in some cases, misses the mark. So, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, they've taken away our bargaining room. So it used to be a dance between a developer and a municipality. Hey, can you add more family-oriented, multi, you know, uh, multi-room units? Oh, okay, well now I, you know, and if you do so, I'll cut back on your charges. Uh, can you add more affordable units? And if you do so, I'll cut back on your charges. And we had this dance back and forth where cities could do that in order to help build the communities they wanted. Can you give us a little bit more parkland and we'll cut back on your charges? Um, that, you know, certainly could go in the wrong way, but that was a healthy dance to help build a real community. Um, and I think the other thing that was really missed is timelines. So basically you've given a huge handout to the industry in terms of, okay, all your fees are now cut. You could cut the price of your units or you could profit that, or, you know, we don't know what's gonna happen, but why don't we attach timelines to that? Like as a city, I can't make a developer apply for things. There's somebody who can own a piece of land. I can't make them build on it. I can't make them come to me for a permit. I can control how fast we go through the permitting process. That's my role. I can't make the construction workers show up. I can't find a construction company to do it. So like, there's a real narrative in the province. And, and now you're also hearing it on the federal side of the opposition, that the cities are the problem. And they're the only problem, apparently. And that's not accurate either. We're one step 
in a many-step process. And I think that's really dangerous, right? And I also think that in the end, um, if we don't meet our targets, the province has doubled down on this so hard. There's no one else to blame at this point. They've kicked the municipalities as hard as they possibly can. Uh, you know, what else are they going to do? I guess the last point I just make is, you know, maybe some way in some ways to the positive to take a detached non-counselor point of view and somebody who just wants to build housing. It's easy for a counselor to say no if you've got a room full of people saying, please don't approve this, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's a natural human inclination. Um, and so, you know, I do want to build better communities. I do want to do that. But, you know, if we enable NIMBYism, that's also a problem too, right? So there's I, a balance I, there. And, I, just, and I think the biggest thing, though, like I would have said, is I would have liked to have seen timelines attached to permits. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting on them for 20 years just because you want the uplift, that's mm-hmm. not cool. That's not okay. That's not building housing. I wanted, there's something you, you mentioned there, and I, there's, I have kind of a two-part question here. Um, what? Because I remember, especially specifically uh, to you, Councillor Horner, because uh, uh, the shadow critic for housing, uh, Steve Atchison, I believe, from Perry Sound, uh, federally, basically went went to town in you guys because you you were in the process of planning and there's a kerfuffle, and so he said you guys are a perfect example of the gatekeepers that Pierre Poilievre and his his government's going to take out. Um, so, and there's, there's the, the I want to feed that into both both counselors. Do you? Feel that a you guys you guys are not specifically, but the municipalities are being um, tasked with the burden of fixing this huge problem unfairly and unjustly. Um, and I'll leave it at that, and I'll, I'll have my follow up question after I hear sure. from from both of you. Yeah, that was a really interesting one um, to have somebody at the federal level from Perry Sound. Um, which is, you know, no offense, but it's probably pretty easy to build things in Perry Sound. It's all green space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mississauga is at the point where we are 100% built out. It's all building up now. Uh, and that's a lot harder. So, I mean, in the particular uh, project you're talking about, um, the neighborhood is very, um, very angry. Uh, and I think in some ways, you know, something's going to get built there. Absolutely it will. But it's talking about what kind of neighborhood do you want? And when you go from a retail plaza, which is everybody's dentist and ice cream store and shopping mart, and you basically say all that retail barring a small little corner store is gone. You're not building a walkable community, which is what as good urbanists we're supposed to be building and what people say they want, right? Someplace where you can walk to your local store and get those things. So on that particular project, there's got to be some kind of halfway point where we're retaining more of the retail and we're not just building towers in the sky. Um, Councillor Mahoney calls it a fortress because it really is high towers bordering the entire perimeter of the thing. Um, and it's really going to stick out. Like everything in the surrounding area is two stories. Uh, a few blocks away, there's a couple of towers. But, you know, it's not building great communities. Something has to get built there for sure. But what's being proposed is just a little too much. And, and so what else will happen? The federal critic grabbed a snippet of a video that was about 10 minutes long and grabbed one person who said something very, very problematic. Um, one of the things we've heard sometimes from critics of housing is they'll equate density to crime or they'll have very slight racial connotations in their message, which... When they've happened at council, I stop and call it out because that's not appropriate. 
Um, but that's what was grabbed, like a small snippet of a couple of comments in what was a 10 minute presentation about people talking about a walkable, livable community. Um, that's politics, right? You can right. grab a snippet and pretend like it's the entire dialogue and it's not. Uh, Councillor Wilson, I, I'd like to have hear your, your thoughts on, uh, on where the municipalities fit into this whole dialogue. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm a little less charitable. Um, well, I think go ahead. <laughs> all, all levels of, of government um, have a responsibility and are responsible. And um, we have uh, plenty, too many examples uh, historically and, and uh, to date in which um, many municipalities have used exclusionary zoning for the purpose of, of keeping out um, uh, intentionally uh, an array of uh, housing type. Um, and it's only, again, within beset within this crisis that we're starting to um, lean into providing for uh, low residential, low uh, density residential uh, as of rights, whether it be, um, you know, uh, th uh, three units, et cetera. But, but make no mistake about it. I, I always find it really interesting when there's a housing uh, application and, and uh, some people from the neighborhood come and say, we love our neighborhood and this is going to destroy it. So you have a great neighborhood. We just don't want anybody else to enjoy it. And it, the reason that we have either tall or sprawl is that we are precluding uh, different types of housing throughout our neighborhoods. And we're putting, as a consequence, we get a lot of height um, along really busy thoroughfares, typically. Um, so uh, I, I, I think we, in my opinion, um, municipalities have a responsibility. Um, we've had a responsibility. We have a responsibility. But I, I, I think the challenge is now that in Bill 23, um, the government has taken away the very tools uh, and thresholds of uh, trying to meet those intensification targets. Um, at least the previous Liberal government on, um, for example, inclusionary zoning, uh, while they did not prescribe it, they enabled a municipality to provide for inclusionary zoning throughout the entire municipality. One of the first things the Ford government did uh, upon gaining office was to eliminate that um, opportunity, and they limited it to along transit-oriented corridors. Um, I it is um, it it is a little bit frustrating, and I go back to the if we're not prepared to have an adult conversation um, about the role of the market, we're not going to solve this crisis by leaning into the same system that um, helped define it. And I I, I just want to add in my second question to both of you. Um, there's, I, I want to talk to kind of a, a trend that I, I've, I've felt watching this whole conversation, among other conversations that are happening nationally. And it's that this seems to be a number one concern for all Canadians is housing affordability and, and the market. And yet I get a sense from people that their leader, they don't feel that their leadership is listening to what's going on on the ground. And I want to get a sense of you too, as elected officials, do you share that sentiment? And if you do, 
what do you want to see change about this dialogue? Not from the ground up, but like, you know, from the federal and provincial governments on this, what seems to be the number one issue in the country. So I think picking up on what Councillor Wilson just said about exclusionary zone and also grabbing your question there. Sure. sure. I mean, I think um, for me, I think, you know, there's a lot of people who they bought a single detached home and that's their reference point forever in that neighborhood. They don't want to hear about a basement apartment. They don't want to hear that something's going to get torn down and they're going to put up three stories. Um, so I think to your question, it's it's generational, right? The people who bought that house back in whatever date you use for a fraction of what it is today don't want their neighborhoods changing at all. And so when they do change, I will get questions as a counselor, aren't basement apartments illegal? I'll be like, no, they haven't been illegal for a really long time. Um, people's mental maps are still not updated, but on the opposite side, if you talk to a 20 or 30 year old and they'll just be like, when am I ever going to own a home? Right? Like how, if I get married next month, are we going to start a family? And you're like, I don't have a good answer. It's terrible. It's totally generational. I think Councillor Wilson made the point of, you know, who can buy a house now unless you have intergenerational wealth helping you out. It's totally true. And it's not. Uh, you know, at least in Mississauga, or I think gen generally in Canada, like what people expect of our country. And it's such a complex issue that there isn't one level of government, one person who can just grab it and solve it. It's too complex. Um, you know, I, I think the other nasty side is um, you talk about supply and demand and the conversations more recently are starting to turn towards immigration. And that's a really dangerous place because immigration has always been something that has been positive in Canada. And it's been unanimously thought that way by all parties at the federal level and the provincial. And I'm worried that we're really starting to threaten that because people are starting to do the lowest common denominator in human history, which is blame the immigrant. Um, and, and in the polls I saw, which I think were from Abacus, it was other immigrants now blaming newer immigrants were the actual highest number of people who were feeling this way now. And this is dangerous. So we got to get to a better place on this file because if we go down that really dark path, like it's not good for us as people. It's not good for us as a country or a city. Like we got to figure out how to do a better job at this. And, and the problem to your question is it's so complex. There's no one person who can step forward and be the champion and I have the answer because it just crosses so many jurisdictions. And the answer for me in Mississauga may be different than the guy in Perry Sound, who has a different way of building, a different setup, right? I want to uh, jump now to, I mean, uh, Councillor Wilson, you have a problem that perhaps Councillor Hornick has less of in Mississauga, and that is of, of a fairly fairly vibrant kind of media environment that, that can be highly critical of, of council and uh, Miss Saga kind of, uh, I, I feel needs that. <laughs> you may not feel it needs it, but, um, but, um, and there was an article the other day in the, in the spectator by Laura Babcock, you know, basically saying, you know, his council, again, uh, we've got a new council, uh, far more, uh, progressive uh, angle to it, uh, with a, you know, former NTP leader as, as, as the mayor, uh, People who certainly have a, a you know, a progressive or NDP-ish leaning, uh, it, it more in evidence. Um, 
and yet we're still dealing with with you know kind of all talk no action the 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 um the hats project being sort of punted down the road for more investigations is that a fair criticism uh do you feel or do you think do you think that there is significant um progress happening at a council level right now i think all criticism is is fair in that we live in a country where you're free to give it and and depends on how, how you take it i'm um I, th- I think the criticism is um, rooted in we're all feeling a sense of um, despair. Um, some of it is anger. Some of it is um, like what's, what's going on. And I, I think it's experienced um, depending on your circumstances. So I don't know if I'm answering your, your question, but... I think the thing you have to do in public service in trying to to move a file is to try and identify people's self-interest and there's nothing wrong in doing that. So I I picked up on this um, concern when I was first campaigning in 2018 and when I would knock on someone's door and I would say, you know, how's life? What's going on? What concerns you? And they expressed a concern about you know, I know it sounds rather glib, but I did hear it in 2018. Um, they were concerned that their adult child was still living in their basement. And um, they saw that as separate and distinct from the affordable housing crisis because they didn't see themselves within those terms. And it's important, I think, for all uh, um, elected officials to try and when, when you're trying to move a file, you're trying to string together a coalition of the willing. And, um, you know, whether it's intergenerational living now or whether it's people who are seeing more and more encampments popping up in our public spaces, um, trying to put the different parts of that continuum of need um, within, again, a system talk. And it doesn't serve anybody's interest for me to blame another level of government. And it doesn't serve anybody's interest in saying that criticism is unfair. And it doesn't serve anybody's interest by me telling you how you feel going by a tent in a park is wrong. You're entitled to your own feelings. What I do need to do is lean into having um, one-on-one or collective discussions about we didn't get here overnight. Um, you know, in 1990, Paul Martin, when he was on the opposition bench, wrote a white paper that said, if we do not get back seriously into the game of subsidizing housing, we are going to have an explosion of poverty and we will rue the day. That was in 1990. And in 1996, his very influential budget did exactly the opposite. It got the federal government out of um, uh, public housing. And that cascaded down into 1999 or year 2000, where Mike Harris, then the premier of Ontario, he extracted his government uh, from social housing. Ontario is now the only province, I think, in the federation where there is not a provincial, formal provincial role permanently on a sustained level in that. These actions have consequences. The challenge is, you know, putting it into context and saying, right, what do we have, 
What do we have to do? How can we knit a coalition in order to highlight these and try to move forward? Municipal governments have some tools, but this is as much as an income crisis. This is an opioid crisis. This is a mental health crisis. It is all of those things. Um, and, and trying to highlight that without further victimizing someone, without further blaming someone, with trying to just move forward. I don't know if I've answered your question. It, it's not an easy road to hope. Um, yeah, and if I could just sort of follow up on that, I mean, to sort of push back on, and I, I'm just trying to um, put Laura Babcock's point here. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, I may not be getting it right, but basically I, I, I understood her point to, to be that, you know, okay, even the small things that Hamilton Council could be doing relatively quickly. I mean, the Hats project was something that came along. It's like, okay, let's do something quickly. We just buy some huts. We employ someone to make sure that they're being maintained properly. We put them on some vacant land. Boom, we're done. That gets immediately bogged down in kind of years of, well, is this the right place? Should it go somewhere else? Rather than, come on, you know, Let's take quick action on this small thing. We're not saying this is going to fix homelessness, but there's, here's a small thing we can do right now, and yet still we're bogged down and not making progress. Is, that that really is, I think, Laura's point. I mean, how how mm -hmm. do you how do you answer that? Um, well, we I think her her other point also, and which is very valid, is we can't let the perfect get in the way of the good. Um, on the hats uh, specifically. It's, it's hard given the complexity of need to disassociate health from housing. And so there were questions about, um, you know, who, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of hats, but who, who, who do we prioritize? Who gets into hats? And there were different answers at different times, meaning, oh, you know, they're going to be those with the greatest acuity, of, of acuity or no, they're going to be those with the, um, those who are going to probably have the most success in the transitioning into housing, um, which are favoring those who are already going to be transitioning in, into housing. And then the issue becomes the, the safety of those people uh, living in um, the, the tiny cabins, I'll use that term, in that, uh, is it in a safe place? Um, because the minute we put public dollars into something, then I'm accountable for those, those residents. Is the location safe? Um, and there's a number of different ways in which to define safety. And those are some of the, the, the things that we'd have to think on a planning application, but, but more so. So I, I certainly do understand the frustration. Then there are other people on the other side of it by saying, what about uh, the rights of those living in there? They're, they're do they have any any rights? They don't have any tenant rights. So again, we have to move quickly. I understand that frustration. It is an emergency. We also have to do our due diligence um, in partnership with those who are most vulnerable, who um, in terms of their hierarchy of needs, um, they don't have the, the, the time to sit down at these meetings and advocate or engage. They have many people who should and are doing it. Um, but I, I take the point. Um, but it's, it's defining our responsibilities really 
clearly and moving swiftly and not normalizing <laughs> that this is not going to be a permanent, this cannot become part of our permanent um, homelessness or housing strategy. Because three years after HATS, what are we assessing success? How are we defining success? And if it is successful, are we then saying that tiny cabins are now going to be part of our housing continuum? Those are questions we, we have to ask now, not three years from now. Yeah, I, I was just saying, I see that we're coming up on our, on our time limit, and I think we could probably go on for the rest of the day on this topic. Yeah, um, sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's, I, I, it's, no, no, it's, I, I would just say, yeah, at Regional Council in Peel, I moved uh, what I think is a similar type program to get looked at, which is small modular housing. Because um, you know what, it, it's one tool, it's not mm -hmm. a perfect tool, and I think the councillors made some excellent points. How do you not make it permanent in the end? And that's not where you want to go, right? Well, may, maybe the two of you could work together in your respective municipalities to push forward this project to prove to the province that this is a viable option for other municipalities across the country. Just saying, maybe it's an idea. Who knows? Um, but I am, I'm, I am going to say we're going to have to wrap it up. But thank you very much to uh, Councillor uh, uh, Joe Hornick and Councillor uh, Maureen Wilson for taking the time from your busy schedules to come on um, to talk about this very, very important issue. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, for your time today. Thanks for having us. Lots of fun. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.